Traps them in the car. Traps them in the car and leaves them. Clearly it says something about what he feels that he should do as opposed to what he could do. Mm. I mean, we commented at the time that if this had been anyone in Rick's group, they'd just be dead. Yeah. Whereas Morgan feels that that was an appropriate course of action, was to just delay them long enough. And I suppose potentially they could have died if they didn't find a way to escape the car once it was surrounded by walkers. But as you would say, they're not actually dead. Not actually dead. didn't actually kill them. And he gave them a pretty good fighting chance. Mm. Two guys in a car, just in the forest, not in a big crowd. A fighting chance. Yeah. The next thing we see is Daryl and Aaron, who are out and about... Daryl looks so cool on his bike with the glasses. I think he might have washed his hair. All predictions about how loud his motorcycle is have come true. Mm. If they're meant to be sneaking up on other humans, that is not a stealth operation, but it's so cool, I don't care. Well, yeah. I suspect what they do is park places that they're familiar with and then travel large distances on foot. Yeah. Just while we're on the vehicles. I love the contrast between astonishingly cool Daryl and Aaron who is just driving the biggest piece of shit car (laughs) it's a real jalopy isn't it it's terrible (laughs) and he's so straight laced and Daryl's in all his leather and I just the whole thing is amazing oh yes Daryl and Aaron I think are my new favourite duo yeah they're great they're not quite as amazing as Daryl and Carol no because nothing is amazing as Daryl and Carol but Daryl and Aaron is pretty awesome. Daryl and Carol, their bond is about knowing and accepting each other's dark places. Oh, yeah. Whereas Aaron is bringing Daryl out of that darkness a little bit. Yes. Carol needs an Aaron. I think that was no more abundant and clear than in this episode. Rick wakes up. Can I just, right off the bat, say, just once to get it off my chest, apparently both Rick and Pete have magical faces that don't bruise. As long as you apply band-aids quickly enough massive bruises and black eyes don't come up. It's a good ability to have. I know, right? But anyway, Rick wakes up, Michonne's there, and they're quickly joined by Carol, Glenn, and Abraham. This is the scene where the group finally plots what they're going to do if they have to. Mm. They're going to try and talk it out at the meeting tonight first, but this is the plan if that goes south. Yeah. There's a few things in this scene I wanted to ask you about. Rick, at the very beginning of it, comments that he feels like he's back in the train car when he wakes up. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that? Not a lot, actually. I think I'm. My mind dwelt on it a little bit, and then it sort of moved on when the scene moved on. So I, I felt like there was something there, but I didn't have enough time to really process it. Okay. What did you think? Well, right in the moment, I thought, well, yes, another group's got you locked up, but the stakes are way lower. Of course. I felt like the whole thing was undermined 20 minutes later when he freely walked out of the room. He obviously wasn't in a cell. This was just the room they put him in to sleep. Yes. It, was it wasn't under a, house arrest. It's a bit melodramatic for Rick. Carol comments that the people of Alexandria are like children. And that's why she doesn't have any compunction about telling these lies and stories to them. What do you think of that? Look, it was a cruel way to put it, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. I think she's right as well. I just wonder about the conclusion she draws as a result of it. Yeah, okay, I can see that. What she really means is that they are naive. That's what she really means. Yeah. And what they should be doing with naive people is to jolt them out of the naivety of thinking that their luck will hold out forever and that what they've got set up here is adequate to survive the horrors that the group has been through outside the walls. 
And that's a theme that is followed later on, which we'll get to. Mm. But you're right. She shouldn't be telling stories to them. They should actually just be telling it as it is. Yeah. You can either lie to your children or you can teach them. Yes. I felt like there was a comparison this episode between Carol and Rick. Uh-huh. And what should be done. Rick is taking views on this from a whole range of people and a bunch of people say, actually, we need to teach these people. We need to bring them along. Yes. Carol is the devil on the shoulder. Yes, well, as a matter of fact, later on, Rick does have a conversation with Carl. Yeah, that's what I've got notes about. Yeah, Yeah. and as you say, Rick is telling the truth. He doesn't hold anything back from Carl. He says, I might have to kill someone. And Carl isn't that happy with it. He thinks that won't have to happen. But the point is, is that Rick is not telling stories to his child. Yeah, and that's exactly the comparison that I saw. Throughout this scene, Michonne is her trademark silent self. Hmm. At the end of this scene, I wondered what she was going to do about knowing there was an attack. How sure were you about her loyalty to the group? Very sure. At no point have I thought that Michonne's desire to reach safety and her belief that this was something that they needed to do was ever going to result in her betraying the group. She's never said, I need to get there. She said, we do. Mm -hmm. She's constantly talked about what the group needs, what we all need. To betray them just for her own safety kind of goes against what she's been saying for the whole half season. To betray the group like that just would not have been consistent. In fact, even if it had come to the point of Deanna saying, none of you fit in here, Michonne would have gone with the group. I'm 100% certain that she would have left Alexandria in order to stay with the group. Yes, that's all true. And I don't for a second think that Michonne makes selfish decisions. What if she thought... If I stop just Rick, I'm going to save the entire rest of this group. Rick's about to get all of us kicked out. If she, and this is this would be key to it, if she thought Rick had started behaving in the wrong. It's a really big if though, isn't it? Well, it is, but this is what I'm talking about. Michonne always tries to do the right thing. And I think that eventually, although she's got huge loyalty to this group, if she thought that the group had started to be bad guys... That would end that loyalty. Maybe. I don't think there was any indication that she had started to think that, though. Really? I thought it was very ambiguous. She's the one who punched out Rick. She's the one who has been very gung-ho about Alexandria and about trying to fit in. Mm. And she clearly didn't think that having the guns was a good idea. I think there's lots of stuff that could lead you to believe, as you're watching, that she might be... Not starting to think selfishly and not starting to want to do over the group. She's not Gabriel. But starting to think, okay, maybe Rick's not the right person to be supporting in this situation. Rick would have to be acting properly insane. He had just been in a fist fight, in a really nasty fight with someone, clearly flooded with hormones and adrenaline, and started ranting. That's a very kind depiction of a guy who pulled a gun on a community of naive, unarmed people. Yeah. The things that he said, though, were true. He says it later on in this episode. I don't regret anything I said, because it's all true. Yeah. He pulled the gun and that, we agreed, that was a mistake. But, flooded with the adrenaline from the fight, people don't make the best decisions. I'm not wanting to have a debate about whether or not I think Rick was right. My point is, I think there's enough stuff here for an audience member to wonder what Michonne's going to do. Okay, that's fine. An audience member might think that. There wasn't enough there for me to think that Fair of Michonne. Enough. Maggie is watching Gabriel out the window... And then she goes in to talk to Deanna, who will see her now. Reg is there as well, 
And Maggie is basically making a plea about the meeting tonight and trying to understand exactly how it's going to run. And I think in particular what she's doing is sounding out how Deanna is going to try and direct the meeting's decision, what she's going to try and get out of the meeting. She does find out. Yes. Deanna's very touchy about her loss. And I don't want to sound like a cold-hearted bitch, but I felt very unsympathetic towards her with her having lost one son out of an entire family, talking to Maggie. (laughs) He's lost her entire family. And right then I thought Maggie needs a medal for not just yelling at this woman. Yeah, I mean, she says what needed to be said. Mm. We've lost more. That's how it is. Yeah. It was remarkably restrained. But also it had that quiet confidence of someone who knows that they are absolutely right. Mm. In the same way that when Glenn said to Aiden, no one's impressed. I don't need to make a song and dance about how capable I am and how crap you are because it is abundantly apparent. And Maggie is just like, I don't need to go off about how much we have lost on our journey here because that is abundantly apparent. Deanna knows that Maggie's lost her whole family. She's done interviews with all of them. Yeah. So when she says to her, we've lost more, she knows without a doubt that Deanna knows that's true. And it's interesting because Reg, who sees all of this, has also seen the tapes. He has a little reaction moment and him chasing after Maggie shows that he understood Mm. the reality of what's going on here. He also makes a comment about what he's going to say at the meeting. He says to Maggie, I promise you I'm going to talk about the fact that civilization means keeping people together and dealing with it. Yep. I like Reg. Liked. Yeah, I liked him just in time for him to die. (laughs) Sasha is outside clearing away the walker bodies. She's putting them in a mass grave, which she hops into for a bit of a lie down. What did you think about this? Well, it's pretty obvious that Sasha thinks that's where she should be. That she's got some serious, serious level of survivor's guilt going on here. Yeah, it was very disturbing. I kept on thinking, oh, what if one of them is not properly dead? (laughs) Daryl and Aaron are still walking around looking for people, and they talk about Aaron's way of determining whether or not a group can be let in. Are they good people? He observes them for a long time, and part of the reason he's so cautious about observing them is that he brought in the people who were banished beforehand, and he had to then actually do the act of banishing them, driving them out, taking their guns from them, leaving them with some food, and driving off. Mm. He's obviously quite disturbed by that. Now, he said that the people he banished were two men and a woman. Yep. And what we've seen of the wolves so far is two men. We did see a woman strapped to a tree. Oh, God. I really hope that... No, he would have said, I banished this woman. Yes, of course he would have. We did see a woman in the trunk of a car. Well, that's true as well. You thought that might have something to do with the wolves. Maybe. I'd assume she was part of the pack. Yeah, so would I. But you're right, we've seen two men. Yeah. Carol's gone back to Rick, wakes him up again. She's pretty pleased about the development of things so far. She thinks it's more or less good the way they're playing out. Mm. Rick says to her that he wants to stop lying. He doesn't like this idea that the way to deal with these people and their naivety is to tell them stories. Yeah. And he doesn't like lying to his own group as well. Mm. Whereas Carol is very much about operating in the darkness and behind the scenes. (laughs) What this really crystallised for me was that Whereas Rick's relationships with people are built on trust, Carol still finds it very hard to trust any but a very small handful of people. Which makes a lot of sense, given her background, that she'd have trust issues. Yep. We get a very quick scene of Daryl and Aaron following a guy in a red poncho. Did you have anything to say about that? Not really. Fair enough. Rick leaves his, well, cell. Rick leaves his 
not house arrest. Yes. He leaves the room he was having a kip in. Exactly. <laughs> and he walks down the street. Tobin is quite awkward about him passing by. Mm. But the main thing that happens here is that he walks past Deanna, who's standing around on her veranda. Mm, she gives them daggers. She really does. Did you notice that she has gotten darker and darker in her clothing, in the way they I think even the way they're lighting her and colouring her hair even, and certainly she's wearing darker makeup than she did originally? I hadn't noticed, so that's a good spot. Part of what's going on there is she's wearing black because she's in mourning. Yes. But it also but thematically works for the character, thematically, yeah. 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 Glenn and Maggie have a quick conversation. Maggie is letting him know that she's still lobbying people, she's going to talk to people all day... She's trying to do this the civic way. You can see him consider telling her about the plan to fight if things go bad. Mm. Why do you think he doesn't tell her? I thought maybe because it might be more convincing if she doesn't know. If she's lobbying and doesn't know there's another plan. It negates the possibility that her lobbying has got any hint of subterfuge about it. The other thing is that maybe Glenn just doesn't want her to think that he's that duplicitous. I don't know. Although, I don't know, part of me goes, Glenn and Maggie are at the point where neither of them would be keeping much, if anything, back from the other one, unless they had a really good reason to. Yeah. And that's the best one I can come up with, is that he wants her lobbying to be as authentic as possible. Did you have any thoughts? Well, the only possibility I could think of, apart from those, was the idea that maybe he wanted her to have a last few hours where they weren't going to have to fight. Maybe. Nicholas observes them having a conversation, but the main thing is that right at the end, Glenn sees Nicholas going over the wall. Yes. This wall seems really climbable in a whole (laughs) range of spots. Yes, not even on the side that has the sloping beams. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's actually not a bad thing. If you're living on the inside, you kind of would want to be able to climb over it to get out. I guess so. It's getting in that's the problem. If the walls were breached and the gate was somehow inaccessible, you would want to be able to get out. Yeah. Gabriel is heading out armed only with the word of God. Fucking hell. Yeah. Carl and Rick have a conversation. Rick's got home. And Carl notices that that's the way Rick describes it as home. Mm. This is the bit we talked about before. Rick is really honest with Carl. And Carl can deal with it. Yep. Which makes sense, given his history. Well, I was going to say, he did see his father bite out a man's neck and then slit another one ball sack to gullet. So, yeah. Yeah. He's probably quite used to the idea that his dad might have to kill someone. Yeah. Carl pleads for restraint on behalf of the people of Alexandria, more or less. Well, he basically makes the same plea that Michonne does, which was that, fine, something might happen, but don't make it happen. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting here, apart from the fact that Rick respects Carl enough to tell him the truth, he also respects him enough to listen to his view. Yeah. Daryl and Aaron have lost Poncho Guy, but what they have found is a tinned food depot. Mmm. Which they mention is 50 miles away from Alexandria. Quite a long way. Just to plot out a bit of a map here. But the whole thing's a trap. And as soon as they open any of the trucks, all the trucks fly open and all hell breaks loose. Yeah. That's a pretty effective trap. Yes. Yes, it is. The wolves are clearly quite clever. Yeah, they're a regular bunch of home aloners. Mm. They make it to one of the cars, and they're thinking about ways to wait it out until the walkers get bored. If they can hide themselves, they'll forget they're in there. And then one of them finds a note that's written out half in pen and half in blood, saying that the whole thing is a trap, no shit, but bad people are on the way, so you can't just stay in the car. Yep. That was very ominous. I did wonder how someone who knew the bad people were coming had time to write the note. 
Because wouldn't the bad people have come? Yeah, and, and then dealt with them somehow. Yeah, so did they write the note as they were bleeding out? I suppose maybe, that's what the blood's for. I, the timeline doesn't really matter. Plot appropriate note. Plot no appropriate Yeah. <laughs> Carol is continuing her rounds for the day. And she goes to visit Pete. Oh, and it's magnificent, isn't it? It really is. She's brought him a casserole <laughs> and a whole <laughs> bag full of threats. A whole bag full of, do this or I'll fucking kill you. Oh, it was amazing. And she just, again, it's the same thing we saw with Glenn talking to Aiden, with Maggie talking to Deanna. It's the absolute assurance of knowing that what you're saying is absolutely true and there's nothing you can do about it. And the added tone here, of course, is that in some ways this is Carol now, yes. strong Carol, yes. getting a chance to confront Ed. Yes, that's exactly what I thought at the time. And boy, she doesn't hold back. Oh, it's wonderful. It is everything that you would want Carol to say to Ed. She threatens him, calls him a small person. You're a small man. In this world, you're even smaller. You actually are nothing. Yeah. And then she dares him. She actually dares him to come at her. That way, she goes, yes? No. Yeah, amazing. It's just incredible. The whole thing is incredible. To the point where she goes him enough that she actually cuts him. Mm. Only a little bit, but there's blood on that knife. And this is clearly one of the things that happens today that sets Pete off and sets him on the path for what happens later. Yes. Do you think that part of the reason that Rick is able to be the way he is, even-handed and honest... Mm. Do you think that is made more possible by the fact that Carol is willing to be duplicitous when they need it? I guess every good cop needs a bad cop. Yeah. He wouldn't have lived through this episode Mm. if Carol hadn't given him the second of the guns she's given him that she sold, for which she was willing to threaten the kid and put on this incredible pretense. I wonder if part of the reason he can operate with fairly clean hands, Mm. metaphorically speaking is that Carol is willing to get her hands dirty. I think you're right, basically. Yeah. Even when explaining it to Michonne, he doesn't say we shouldn't have done it. He doesn't say this was the wrong decision. He just tells her about it and trusts that she will understand, I guess. I mean, he says that he was afraid that she wouldn't, but at no point does he say we were wrong to Mm -hmm. do this. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that he's able to be the benevolent dictator because he's got Carol and one or two other people who are willing to do some dirty work so that he can maintain the respect of everyone. Outside the walls, Glenn is following Nicholas, who shoots him. But luckily, Nicholas is a shit shot. Yeah, and this is at the site where Aiden, Nicholas, Glenn, Tara and Noah... Where they first go when they arrive. Because we see the skinless walker and the chain on the ground. Yeah. So yeah, it's a significant place to be for this shit to start going down. Absolutely. Nicholas misses his shot. Glenn catches it in the shoulder. And by the time Nicholas has got to where Glenn was, Glenn has scarpered. Mm. Nicholas is terrible at this. He's also just a poor judge. Because a wiser person would have realised... Glenn is far more capable than I am. I've literally seen it more than once. He's told me, <laughs> and I'm still betting on me. What an idiot. Yeah, but then again, people who are terrible and bad at self-reflection, Yeah, it's not just a coincidence. It's Usually true. those two things are the cause of each other. That's true, that's true. Nicholas is not a man with a great amount of insight. No. Rick goes to visit Jesse, 
she's nervous to be seen talking to him, even though she basically thinks he was right to do what he did. Mm. He was in the right. Rick's not at all nervous. No. And again, we get him saying, why would I do this in a hidden way? I was in the right. I'm going to stop pretending that my views are wrong. Mm. They're observed by Pete. He's still on the getting angrier track. Porch dick. Poor porch dick. <laughs> Daryl and Aaron are still in the car, and Daryl's getting worked up to sacrifice himself. And you and I are getting worked up to be very unhappy. Yeah. One of the important things that happens here is that Aaron tells Daryl that Daryl's behaviour is the reason he knew this group was good. Yeah. That's got to mean a huge amount to someone with the self-esteem issues that Daryl has. It's just another reason I really like Aaron. Mm. He's a good person. He's not a fool. He's not naive like the rest of the Alexandrians. He saw the need for people like this. And taking Daryl as your compass is a good move. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, I just, I need to get on record again. How... A, bit, a bit of a fangasm. Oh, totally a fangasm, I'm so on the Aaron train. And Eric as well, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of him, but that dinner, it was so good. <laughs> just when we thought we couldn't love Aaron anymore, he says, no, Daryl, you're not sacrificing yourself, we're going together. Mm. And we're either going to make it, or die, together. Mm. And it was a great speech, but I was thinking, die. It's option two. You're both going to die together. That's what's going to happen here. Yeah, we're going to lose one of the best characters in this show, along with one of the best new characters in this show, together. Yeah. Fuck you, AMC. (laughs) Fuck you. But just at the last minute, Morgan shows up. Oh, he does. And it's great. Yeah. It's a little unbelievable, but it's great. He's in the area. We know that. No, no, I don't mean it's unbelievable he turned up. Where did... All those walkers go. All those walkers. Well, is it possible that Morgan could have taken a few out while Aaron and Daryl were talking? I mean, all he would have had to have done would bang his stick on the ground a few times, and that's not necessarily that audible above a whole lot of walkers going, like, right at you. I suppose that's true, except at the end, when they're returning the walkers to their cages, there's still heaps of them. Hmm. So they must have run through them. The theory is obviously that they ran through this huge crowd of walkers. And but we did see them run through the walkers. Yeah, I felt like it was a little... A little yeah. camera tricky. There was a, well, I think, <laughs> and we right. saw them run past four of them and suddenly they were past yeah, all Yeah, for some reason half the walkers had decided to go somewhere else in the cage. <laughs> well, so Morgan kills one of the walkers at the window. Mm-hmm. That would have attracted attention. Both Daryl and Aaron push their doors open, probably knocking a few over. Probably. And at least initially, Daryl and Aaron are in different places, or running in different directions. I'm trying to make this make sense. I don't think it was a really egregious example, but you're right. It was a little bit, oh, look at that interesting thing over there. Oh, they're safe. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like when I can actually see the character shields. And I felt like I could during that scene. But on the other hand, the alternative is one of those three characters die, which is unacceptable, so I guess I'll let it slide. Could you imagine if they became a threesome trying to survive out there? That is a badass threesome. Yeah, although I imagine the conversation would be very much on Aaron's shoulders. Yes, absolutely. The two mutes and Aaron. Well, if there's one thing that Aaron has proven quite capable at, apart from macheteing walkers in the head and following people without them noticing... He's also proven that he's very good at getting people to talk. You're right, actually. Within a week, they would be the most well-balanced trio out there. Oh, all they need now is Tara, and they would be, like, 
the most together people in this world. Now, I know Morgan had just saved their lives, but did you feel like Aaron's offer to him about Alexandria was a little hasty? I did, yes. They know literally nothing about this person. Although, someone who sees people in trouble and their first instinct is to help them, that's not and in nothing. real trouble. Like, that's yeah, yeah. really laying yourself on the line. Yeah. That quality in and of itself is something I would want in Alexandria, especially coupled with those fighting skills. So, it's not inconceivable that he would offer that immediately, but I do think it was hasty. I would have at least bothered to find out a little more about him. I would also have wondered if I was them, is this one of the bad people I've been Mm. told will arrive at this location? Yeah. Still seems like it's not something one of the bad people would do. Bad people quite often act like good people. To the extent of actually putting themselves in real danger... I mean, normally it's just the appearance of danger. A lot of the bad people who are left now are batshit crazy. (laughs) In fact, a lot of the good people who are left now are batshit crazy. (laughs) Yes. Well, look, fundamentally I agree with you. I think it was a little hasty. But it wasn't so crazy that it broke anything for me. The map finally does its job. The map he's been carrying around for half a season. Chekhov's map. Indeed. It explains how these two guys who've never seen Morgan before are able to join the dots between him and Rick. Yes. It was a nice little moment. It was neat. Seeing Daryl looking at the map, and then he looks at Morgan, and he's like, not sure exactly what it is, but this is important. There was a part of my brain that just thought, wouldn't it be funny if they decided Daryl can't read? Yes. That would be very (laughs) funny. (laughs) Not the case, though. Not the case. (laughs) Gabriel is outside the walls, whistling. (sighs) Whistling really shittily, by the way. He finds a walker who is killing someone else, and he says, I'm ready. But then, Yeah, as soon as the walker starts to attack him, he goes, oh, just kidding. Well, the thing that we know about Gabriel is that he is a coward. Mm. This is just another example of him being a coward. He decides he wants to die, he wants to end it all, and he can't go through with it. He was too afraid to protect his people. He was too afraid to confess to the only other actual people that he had met the terrible thing he had done. Decided the out of going, oh, it's between me and God was an acceptable one. And he now is too afraid to end his own suffering. Yeah. I have no time for this person. We don't like Gabriel. We've never really liked him. I'm so done with this bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) So done with it. And I've got more to say, obviously, later on, but I'm so done with Gabriel. I was really worried for a second as he was pulling on that noose that we were going to have to give Gabriel zombie kill of the week, but then he doesn't even kill it with the noose. It's with a rock, so Mm. it's all right. We're out of the woods. Mm. It would have physically (laughs) hurt to give him zombie kill of the week. Uh, I feel like the person who did it would have affected the kill for me. I wouldn't have given it to him. And to be honest, there are... There are At least ones. as impressive ones elsewhere in the Oh, uh, there has been a drought on Zombie Kill of the Week mm. in recent weeks. They were saving it all up for this Oh, week. we have a glut of them now. A glut. <laughs> Abraham goes to visit Tara's bedside. That is awesome. It's an amazing scene. He sees that Eugene's there and he's about to leave, but Rosita, who is amazing, brings him in. Oh, it's alright, he's asleep, he's asleep. Oh, but I might just wake him up with this baking pan. It's great. And Abraham looks over at the clatter that Rosita has made and looks back to find Eugene staring at him, and it's very funny. It is. (laughs) What did you think of Eugene's apology? I thought it was pretty good. 
The best apologies are the ones which demonstrate that the person apologising understands what it is that they have done and the impact that it has had. That's basically, if you're going to apologise to someone, that's what you have to demonstrate in your apology. And he did that. I think that's completely right. I would only add to it that a lot of apologies manage somehow to not contain the word sorry. Mm. A lot of people get into the I understand or the you've got to understand where I was coming from. They're afraid to actually say the phrase I'm sorry. And this one contained it. Mm. It was really heartfelt, I thought. Yes. Any lingering anger towards Eugene for the bullshit that he peddled for such a long time is now pretty much gone. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make up for the people he got killed. But the fact is that he is alive now, and the best thing he can do is to stop peddling bullshit and try to become a productive member of the group, and he's doing it. So he's doing everything that you could hope for from someone in his position, and you've got to give him credit for that. Absolutely. Do you think that he and Abraham could see their way to being good now? Abraham received the apology well. He went so far as to apologise himself for basically trying to kill him. Even though one totally understood Abraham's feelings at the time. I'm not sure if I would have tried to kill him exactly, but we have a lot of context that the people in the group don't. We got to see the flashback and we got to see how Eugene's mission was what he was relying upon to stop himself from having to deal with the death of his family. So the strength of his reaction, I think, is probably more understandable to us Mm -hmm. than it would be to the group because of that context. The point being is... Abraham also apologised. That's not something that you would do unless you were receptive to the idea that the two of you needed to have some kind of reconciliation and at least be able to live together without friction. Yeah. So I don't know if they're ever going to be good good. (laughs) Yeah. But they're going to be able to be in the same place, mingle with the same people and probably talk and be all right. And not have Rosita sneaky about in order (laughs) to get them in the same room. That's right. (laughs) So, yeah, not good, good necessarily, but good enough. There's a quick scene where Gabriel's returning to the community. Now, leaving Gabriel aside, Seth Gilliam, who plays him, I really like him. I loved him in The Wire. I love him on Teen Wolf. I have a lot of time for him. (laughs) And the one thing that I enjoyed about the Gabriel stuff this episode was that he actually started to get to use some of his chops. Yeah. When he was coming back into town, his face, and his face later on in the church, Mm. I found it very effective. Yes. He comes back, he's obviously in a bit of a daze, but Spencer is in such a rush to get to the community meeting. He talks about being about to sneak off, even though he's clearly meant to be on gate duty. Yeah. These people, how are they alive? (laughs) Exactly. And, of course, Gabriel doesn't close the gate. No. Gabriel's... Self-destructive and pan-destructive arc that he's been going through is fucked up. I mean, he's consistently putting other people in danger and never so overtly as now. This was a deliberate decision to expose other people to danger Mm. because he can't deal with his bullshit. How selfish, how unbelievably selfish of him to pull this crap. Yeah. The story of Gabriel, it's ongoing later on in the episode, but at that point in time, I don't think I've ever hated that character more yeah. than when he left that gate open. I'm like, oh, oh, so you're not okay with how you acted, so everyone needs to die for your guilt. Fuck you. I hope you die soon. I hope none of the others do. And it's just you. And it's really bad. And it's really bad. bad. It's really <laughs> painful. I hope it's like Aiden. 
You get to watch yourself being torn apart. You get to literally watch walkers take out your organs and eat them in front of you. Yeah. All while you're conscious. I hope that happens to him. Did I put in enough detail how much I fucking hate Gabriel? I'm sorry, he's getting reduced, yeah. Nicholas is running around like a headless chook, looking for Glenn outside mm. the wall. A walker approaches him, and he considers going one-to-one with it with a knife. Mm. And you can see, he even decides he's not up for that. This is how hopeless this guy is. Yeah. That this far in, one walker with a big knife is not a doable thing. Mm. So he shoots it. Glenn tackles him, and a fight ensues. I don't know where the gun got kicked off to, but somewhere. Glenn continues to be a vicious street fighter. That knee kick. Yep. Well, it's more of a stomp, isn't it? it like is. he he yeah. sees Nicholas's knee. It's off to the side, is exposed, and he just stomps on it as hard as he can. Yeah. You can hear the crack. Fucking hell, that would have hurt. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, because of Glenn's wound, Nicholas does get the upper hand in the fight. Yes. and Which I even still found a little unbelievable, but okay, fine. Well, look, Nicholas was aware of the bullet wound, and he fucking drove his finger in there. Glenn was in a lot of pain. Walkers start approaching, and Nicholas leaves Glenn basically with three walkers piled yeah. on top of him. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I have kind of gone, oh, well, that's the end. Glenn's not walking away from this. Well, I thought Glenn might walk away from it, specifically because they cut away. If they were going to kill Glenn, they would kill him on screen. That's a good point. He's not going to be an off-screen death. No. What I thought he might be was an off-screen biting. And in fact, I'm still a little nervous that we haven't seen him totally nude and examined by a doctor. (laughs) Yes. I want a head-to-toe check done by someone. Well, I was going to say, it's not going to happen by a doctor anymore. Yeah, well... Maggie will probably do it rigorously. The next scene is the one where Rick tells Michonne everything. All the cards on the table. And Michonne is as loyal as anyone could want anyone to be. Yeah. It's heartening. I mean, I didn't suspect that she was going to go off the deep end or betray the group or be like, oh, Rick, you've really done it now. But it did reaffirm for me just how much I like Michonne. Mm. It's a great scene. It just makes you go, what this group has is really quite special. Yeah. If Michonne is the stand-in or the representative for all the elements of this group that have started to acclimatise and started to assimilate a bit, if she's the stand-in for all of that, having her say, we don't want you to make something happen, Mm. but if it does, we've got your back, it felt like she was speaking more than just as her. Sure. This is a statement to us that the whole group is going to stand together. And from this scene onwards, I was 100% sure about that. Yeah. She leaves him the gun. He tries to give her the gun. And she says, no, it's up to you. Yeah, which, again, it's a vote of confidence. Absolutely. She leaves him, and Rick is sitting there thinking about what he's going to do. How is he going to approach this meeting? You can hear in his head replaying the conversation between him and Bob earlier this season. Mm. This is the conversation where Bob was saying, if you let too much of yourself slip (coughs) away, you won't be able to get it back. And at some point, things are going to get better, and you're going to need to be able to find some of it again. I think this scene was really saying this was the question of this season. Mm. This is the question Rick has been dealing with all season. Which side do you think he comes down on? You mean at the meeting? By the end of the season. Well, I feel like the decision was sort of made for him because of the way that he had to come to the group. I'm not entirely sure. Like, I want to talk about the end scene now, and we're not there yet. But I'm not sure that he necessarily picks a side. Yeah, I feel like there's a synthesis of the two views. Yes. 
In the middle of pondering what he's going to do, Rick notices the far more pressing fact that the gate is open. He sees it out the window. And he's off to deal with the situation. Well, even more worrying, he sees flesh. Yes. Clearly, walkers have walked past. Yeah, so he closes it up, but someone's got in already. Yep. Gabriel goes back to his church and finds Sasha waiting for him. She's in a really bad way. Mm Mm-hmm. She wants some guidance, she wants some help, she wants a priest. And Gabriel's not about that right now. No, he just says, no, I can't help you. Yep. He's a cunt. Yep. At the meeting, we start to see the sort of skillful politician railroading that Deanna's going to do. She's not willing to wait for Rick to arrive. Mm. She sets up the meeting, what they're going to talk about, in a way that's really not favourable to Rick. We won't talk about why he was fighting. No. We're just going to talk about the fact he pulled a gun. Yep. I just want to ask here, because this is a moment where we see some of Carol's disguise. Given she got to wear her disguise the whole way through to the end of the season, and never had to reveal... They never did the vicious takeover, they never did the horrible killing spree that she might have been hoping for. Given that, how is she going to reveal to everyone? Is she going to have to wear this disguise forever? Part of me kind of wants her to. It'd be amazing. And part of me can kind of see her taking Sam on as like an apprentice. A fellow dark assassin. Yeah, you could imagine her sitting down and being like, Now Sam, we all know what really needs to happen, but you never let people know that you know what needs to happen. Now just pop on this cardigan. Make some cookies, give them to people, and when they least expect it, you slip the knife in. And then you burn them. And then you burn them. So yes, I kind of like the idea of having to wear it forever. (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, that's a question for the next season. It really is, yeah. (laughs) Nick is running around the woods in the dark. Now, Nicholas is hopeless. How would you do this? How would you try and off Glenn? Or in this situation where you've lost him, how would you try and re-find him? Is that what he's trying to do? If I was Nicholas, I would have assumed the walkers had eaten him. Okay. three of them. That's true. So why is he still pissing about outside? I'm not sure he is. I think he's trying to get back to Alexandria. Oh, Okay. I'm quite sure that Nicholas was trying to get back to Alexandria and that Glenn's reappearance was a total surprise. Okay. I think he assumed that Glenn was dead. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I think I was projecting my opinions onto Nicholas. Remember that Nicholas is continually underestimating Glenn. That's true. And Glenn is not underestimating Nicholas. No. Sasha tells Gabriel that she wants to die. Mm. Or at least she's not sure she wants to live. And Gabriel basically cheers her on. Yeah. I feel like this is Gabriel vocalising all of the thoughts that Sasha has been having. All of the survivor's guilt that she has had. Probably mixed in with not feeling great about some of the things that she's had to do. But I think there's sort of the added edge to it that she obviously really doesn't think that Tyrese and Bob deserve to die. Mm. And yet Gabriel accuses them of this. He says, your brother thought that he was a part from this, but he was a part of it. He deserved But then he says to her that he died because of her sins. Yes. I think he also basically implies that at least Tyrese deserved what happened to him. Okay. But you're right. He does say that Bob and Tyrese died directly because of your sins. Mm. And it's also an amazing amount of projection because... He is responsible for the deaths of who knows how many people. Oh, way more than her. Way more than her, and really directly responsible for it. Not just not being able to protect them, which is the most that you could accuse Sasha of. She just wasn't there or wasn't able to protect the people that she loved. 
Whereas he fucking locked the doors and listened to his flock be eaten by walkers. Mm. So there's this vocalisation of things that I think Sasha had been thinking, combined with projection of Gabriel's own demons. And part of me was thinking at the time, I hope this is acting as some therapy for Sasha. Because if she had just collapsed as a result just kind of dropped the gun and slumped and just gone, yes, this is how I feel. I deserve to be dead. She doesn't know. Mm. And I think that what we're seeing there is the core of Sasha. She's spent so much time agonising about this. And when push really came to shove, when she was really finally confronted with the idea that she should be dead because of things that she's done, she decides, fuck you, I'm going to fight. So I was actually really happy with Sasha's reaction. Yeah. Now she says, I know what you're doing to yes. Gabriel. Yeah. What do you think he is doing? I think he wants everyone else to feel as bad as he does. I think he feels that it's not fair that he's the one who's going through all of this stuff. Again, it's that sort of projection. He projects his guilt onto everyone else. He projects his own desire for punishment onto everyone else. Well, the desire for punishment thing is what I thought might be going on. I wondered if he was trying to commit suicide by Sasha. Maybe. But I also think he wouldn't have been displeased if Sasha had killed herself. Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah, it's really messed, it's really up. messed up. But yeah, as I was saying, I loved how Sasha responded. Yeah. Fuck you, Gabriel. Fuck you, Gabriel. This is what I've been wanting all season. Rick finds the walkers that have made their way into the community, and he starts to fight them. And at the same time, Glenn catches up with Nicholas again, and they start to have another vicious fight, although it's a much shorter one. I'm not sure Nicholas gets in even one punch. It's not even a fight. It's Glenn taking it out on him. All in all, it's been a really bad day for Nicholas. Yeah, and Glenn's found the gun as well. Yes, he has. While all this is happening, while the two different fights are happening... We get voiceover from the meeting. And basically what we hear is a whole lot of testimony from the cult of Rick Grimes. Mm. Michonne, Maggie, Carol, Abraham, they're all talking about how great he is, but also how, I think it's Michonne who says, what Rick is, that's what you're all going to be if Mm. you're lucky. Yeah, there's no shying away from who Rick is. They do the kind of touchy-feely, I wouldn't be here if not for Rick. But then they link it directly to, and I'm here because he is the way he is. I'm here because he's capable of the things that you've seen. It's the only reason we are alive. Yeah, I particularly enjoyed Abraham's model. (laughs) There is an ocean of shit out there, and Rick Grimes knows every grain of shit in it. It was really good. It was amazing. (laughs) And following that theme of, let's not lie to these people. Let's tell them how it is. Yeah. Even while wearing our cardies. Just after Abraham talks about the danger that's out there, we get a shot of the two guys who attacked Morgan, and they've got Poncho Guy. They take him to the gate of the tinned food factory and cut open his guts. Mm. Bye-bye, Poncho Guy. I feel like we hardly knew. We cut back to Maggie giving her thoughts at the meeting, and she talks a lot about how their group, the group that arrived with Rick, is a family, and that that's not something Alexandria can stop but also that they shouldn't want to stop it. And effectively what she does is she reverses the audition. Mm. The way it was described originally was that this group was turning up to audition for Alexandria, and Maggie effectively says, all of you should want in with us. Mm. Deanna looks a little worried. She obviously thinks the meeting might be going Rick's group's way, 
And then she's particularly worried after what Maggie said, because Maggie's very good at this, it turns out. And so she pulls out what she thinks is her trump card, which is Gabriel's confession to her about what a bunch of evil bastards Rick's group is. Mm-hmm. What do you think is driving Deanna here? Deanna's already decided what she's going to do with Rick. For the meeting to come to a different decision would severely undermine her leadership of Alexandria. So I think basically what she's trying to do is to make sure the meeting doesn't contradict her. It's a power issue for her. I think so, yeah. Okay. And that is her trump card, Gabriel. Someone from the group has let slip the truth about these people. And yeah, I think it is quite simple. She can't allow this community group to make a different decision to the one she's already made. She hasn't made that decision public, though. So it wouldn't be an undermining of her power. If the meeting comes to a different decision, she can say, okay, well, the meeting's made a decision and now we'll enact it. And if she doesn't like it, she doesn't like it. She doesn't get to do what she wants. But there wouldn't be any noticeable power loss for her. Not noticeable, but actual. The group stays and Rick stays. Yeah. I think that's something she would want to avert just as much. Absolutely. But that's then about her really needing to get rid of Rick, not about the question of power. That is about power, though. She's more powerful if Rick is not there. Okay, so it is about being threatened by Rick. Yes. I wonder how much of what's going on for her is being driven by the grief she feels. I wonder if she feels like she needs to punish someone for what happened to Aiden. Mm, You could be right. If she was feeling that way, I feel like she would have done something a little sooner. She would have made perhaps a harsher restriction on Rick's movements or... I don't know, maybe that's completely rubbish. We'll just go with what you said. I, I think, I think, I think yours is just as feasible. Well, it could be both. Yeah, I it think there's a lot going both. on with her. Yeah. It gets to the stage where, because Rick's not there, because Gabriel's not there, there's just too many people whose views and testimony here mm. is absent. So Maggie goes off looking, I guess, for Rick and maybe for Gabriel as well. And she mm, heads yeah. off to yeah. try and round up the people who aren't at the meeting. Glenn has roundly beaten Nichols. Yeah. He's got the gun to his forehead. And at the same time... Sasha has her gun trained on Gabriel. Did you think either of them were going to pull the trigger? And if so, who? I wondered about it, but to be honest, I don't think I ever really thought either of them were going to pull the trigger. I thought if Glenn was going to, he would have done it right away. So as soon as he paused, I thought he probably wasn't going to. Okay. I wondered if Sasha was going to pull the trigger. Not because I think that's more intrinsic to her character, but because she has so convincingly been shown to be messed up. Yep. And it would be an incredibly interesting thing for them to have to deal with next season. I suppose that question is sort of left hanging because she's interrupted by Maggie. Glenn makes that decision not to pull the trigger, whereas Sasha doesn't really make that decision. They're interrupted and Maggie sort of stops her. She did take a long time over it, though. She did, and I tend to think she was leaning towards not doing it, Mm. but we will never know really for certain. Just to prove how clever the wolves are, we see them reset their trap. Noises go off in the trucks, or walkers return to the trucks, Mm -hmm. and it's some MacGyver stuff going on there. Yes. Evil MacGyver. Tobin's in the middle of whatever bullshit he was saying. When Rick brings in the dead walker, the one that he killed extraordinarily, or one of them anyway, but we should comment that there was an amazing kill that Rick performed. Yes. Where he forces a gun up under the jaw, through the neck, into the brain of the walker. And then pulls the trigger. He shoots a walker in the head from the inside out. Incredible. It was amazing. One of the walkers that he's killed, Rick turns up with to the meeting. Yes. 
everyone looks properly shocked. Yeah. You can imagine just as he walks in. I mean, he's obviously carrying a walker. But also, this is the second time in two days that everyone's seen Rick Grimes covered in blood. Absolutely. I also wonder how long it's been since a lot of them saw walkers. A long time. Yep. Meanwhile, Maggie has found Sasha and Gabriel, and she gets there in time to stop Sasha, as you mentioned. Gabriel's on the floor blubbering about how they all died because of me, they all died because of me. Maggie says, yep. She says it more compassionately than that. Slightly. And she offers her hand and pulls him up. What did you think Maggie was going to do when she took the gun? I thought she was just going to stop the fight. You didn't think there was any chance she was going to kill him? No, because I think that would have reinforced what Deanna had said. I mean, she just heard Deanna report to the community what Gabriel had said. Mm-hmm. That looks incredibly like revenge. That's true. So no, I don't think that that would have been at all logical. Okay. I wondered if it was going to happen for a moment. I didn't think it would have been a wise choice, but every now and then Maggie is amazingly ruthless. Oh yeah, but she's not silly. That's true. Mostly I just really want someone to shoot Gabriel. <laughs> well, I'm certainly with you there. <laughs> I actually had a couple of other comments about this scene. Oh, yeah. Particularly about what Gabriel says and then what Maggie says. Mm-hmm. It's the first time that we actually hear Gabriel admit his guilt out loud. And that's what he's been needing to do this whole time. Mm-hmm. He's been needing to acknowledge it and to own it and come to terms with it, I guess, if that's the right way of putting it. He needs to get the fuck over this shit. Yeah. And Maggie, I wouldn't necessarily say the way that she addresses him is compassionate. To me, it felt more matter-of-fact. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you need to face up to this. Yes, you did this thing. This terrible, terrible thing. So, I feel like that was the beginning of, hopefully, Gabriel being less completely objectionable about everything. Yeah. I really hope this was the... A turning point. Yeah, the lancing of the boil. Yeah. It's what it felt like to me. I hope it is. Yeah. Because fuck Gabriel, man. Fuck him. Back at the main meeting, Rick has deposited this walker and he starts to speak again. He still looks dangerous and crazy. He's got a very similar look to the one he had after he'd beaten Pete. Mm -hmm. But this time he speaks a bit more calmly and I thought he was more convincing. Yes. Well, he wasn't waving a gun around at them. That probably helped. Actually, there is one thing I wanted to know in particular about this. Deanna, when she talks about Gabriel's confession about the group, The way that she juxtaposes his confession, she says, came to me, told me this, and not one day later did it come true. Mm. And I was thinking during this scene, Rick had been saying things the day before. You people aren't ready. You've got to get your shit together because this can't go on. And not one day later, it all comes true. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice sort of mirroring going on there between the two of them. Yeah. With Rick's point being far more conclusively proved. Yeah. And while we're on that particular train, Glenn says to Nicholas, if you leave the walls, things are going to go really badly for you. And not one day later. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So while Rick's giving his speech, what we see is that Glenn and Maggie have each decided to help the groups of people that they're with. Glenn is helping Nicholas back to Alexandria. He's he's supporting him because he can't walk because someone stomped his knee. <laughs> the Glenn who thought it was important to let someone out of the train carriage is well and truly alive. He's still there. And Maggie is holding hands with Gabriel and Sasha in a little circle. I guess they're doing something spiritual. Yeah, I was watching it going, ah, her father was a preacher, so she probably knows some probably things all over this to shit. say. 
stuff that you or I literally couldn't give two fucks about. Yeah. Even just choosing to sit there with them and show support would mean a huge deal to these people who feel so much guilt. Yeah. I suppose Gabriel has been amazingly objectionable Mm -hmm. ever since he arrived. And the group allowed him to join them. I mean, look, being allowed to join the group is an enormous act of kindness. Yeah. Especially knowing about him what they know. So I'm not discounting that. But since he's joined the group, we haven't seen any scenes of there being any kind of sociability between Gabriel and the others. Yeah. The only person he's ever had any meaningful conversation with is Michonne. And he's tried to have meaningful conversations with others and been rebuffed. Yes. So, although he's been with this group, he's clearly battled his demons alone. And I'm totally aware that it's very much his own making. But he was battling his demons alone. And this reaching out of Maggie to Gabriel, again, feels like a turning point. Mm. If Gabriel feels that other people can know what he's done and not hold it against him and forgive him, then maybe he'll be able to forgive himself and stop being such a dick. That's what I hope. Or maybe he'll just die. I'd be okay with that too. So basically what you're saying is it's win-win. That's right. Either he reforms or he's dead. And I'm good with both. (laughs) While Rick is talking about the danger of what's out there, that people are going to try and attack, and that we'll have to fight them back as our newly formed group, we see that the wolves, having packed all the walkers back into the trucks, have found the backpack and the photos of Alexandria that were in it. So they know that there's a community out there. Mm. I feel like the key thing that Rick said in his speech was, he says, I was wondering how many of you I'd need to kill in order to save you. Yeah. But actually, you're all just going to get better at this. Yes. Which sounds really magnanimous. Yeah. I was thinking about it just after he'd said it, and I was thinking, that should sound crazy, but instead, I feel like if I was an Alexandrian, I'd be thinking, oh, thank you so much for giving me this second chance not to be a fucking idiot. We get some reaction shots. We should mention in passing Carol's one. Yes. Carol's reaction... It's a little bit like the one she has while watching Rick fighting with Pete. Yeah. She's listening to her leader, truth-talking, at this group of naive people who really need to get their shit together, get with the program. It's like she's listening to the most wonderful poetry ever, basking in the glory of its truthiness. Yeah. Watching all of them, probably thinking, yeah, you motherfuckers, listen up. So yeah, she's totally down with this. We do see some other shots of the group, of Rick's group, and all of them look really happy with their leader. Yeah. Abraham's got the gleam of the zealot in his eyes. (laughs) But we also get a couple of shots of groups of Alexandrians. They do look pretty terrified Mm. by what's being said. It's hard to know what exactly they're terrified about, but do you think he had them convinced? It's hard to say. I think what they needed was a wake-up call. I think what Rick delivered was a wake-up call. Yeah, but they don't look happy about waking up. No. Look, I'd put my money on there being more friction. But I feel like, yes, he made his point. And that some of the Alexandrians, at least, will have gotten on board now. And if they weren't, then a few minutes later they were. Mm. I mean, the other thing is, as I said, he had basically just threatened all of their lives. Mm. And if there's one thing that they must absolutely believe by now, it's that Rick and his group... Totally capable of killing every single one of them. Yeah. Right then and there, they could all be dead. Abraham, Michonne, Rick. Every single person in that group is totally capable of killing three Alexandrians without breaking a sweat. Yeah. 
I expect that probably featured quite prominently in some minds. Mm -hmm. Which, again, adds more weight to this idea of, oh, okay, you thought about killing me, but you're not going to do that. It's absolutely within their power, and they're choosing not to. Mm. We're talking some really high stakes here, but that's what the group's been going on about the whole time. Yeah. Going, this is high stakes. This is life and death every day. You fight or you die. Yeah, and you're just living in this dream world. What do you think Deanna thought? I think Deanna was probably feeling the ground shift under her feet Mm -hmm. really intensely. She still looked really defensive in the shot we saw of her. Yeah, and I think that was her resisting the ground moving under her feet. Well, her resistance is gone a few minutes later, as you mentioned. Mm. Pete turns up. He does, brandishing Michonne's katana. And maybe looking drunk? It's not hard when you're not practised at all to be clumsy with a katana. That's true. It's long. He's got it held up quite high and he sort of shoves Reg away and, like I said, if you're not practised with it, you could easily slice someone's neck open. And, and he did. He easily slice someone's neck did. open. Reg is dead. It's interesting that Reg is the person who had been set up as being the most civilised. Yeah. He's learned. Everything about his appearance is about civilization and... and an intellectual understanding of civilization. Well, his argument one. was going to be based on civilization. Exactly. He was the one who was going to make the calm, historically based argument at the <laughs> meeting. Yeah. And the guy who was most civilized had to die for these two groups to merge. Yes. Well, as Reg is dying, Abraham has tackled Pete to the ground. Like a pro. I did think it was really important that Rick hadn't just decided to kill Pete. He was still acknowledging Deanna's authority because he looked to her. Yeah. Deanna, I think, now having an insight into this is how life is, this is how people behave sometimes, and these are the people we need to fucking protect ourselves from. She makes that realisation all at once. Yeah. At least for a moment. I'm not sure if it will hold true. People like to cling on to their habits and beliefs pretty hard, but in that moment she understands and she tells Rick to do it. Yes, and then Rick shoots Pete. Mm. I actually really dislike Deanna after this episode. Okay. I really dislike that Pete being a surgeon was important enough, and the way they were running their place was fine, as long as it was Jesse that was getting beaten, and other people that Aiden was abandoning to die. That was all fine. Mm. Kicking out Rick, and really trying to manoeuvre the group to do that, Mm. was all fine, in the face of all this other shit people were doing. There's no talk that Nicholas might be kicked out. No. Or Pete. And I feel like a lot of Deanna's decisions in the last few episodes have all been about her grief and her anger. She was caught up by the grief of having lost her son, and so Rick had to go. Mm. She was caught up by the grief of Reg dying. Then it's totally fine to kill the doctor. This community doesn't need a doctor anymore because my husband's dead. I mean, those emotions are totally human, they're totally understandable, but if you're going to be the leader of a group, you shouldn't be making decisions like that. You shouldn't be making decisions based on your own anger and grief and the immediate loss that you're feeling. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. I really disliked Deanna after Mm. these last few episodes, and I was primed to like her quite a bit. Mm. She seemed really skilled and really clever and smart in the first few episodes. Mm. And grief has made her cruel and selfish. Cruel and selfish, and also, you know, to some extent stupid. Yeah. Just killed the doctor. And that was fine when he might kill Jesse, but now that he has killed Reg, fuck him. Yeah. Fuck Deanna. Yeah. 
I suppose if the community had come to a decision that that was what they were going to do to him as punishment for killing Reg, that's quite different. That's the community deciding, actually, even with your skills, we actually can't deal with you being here because it's a terrible reminder about what you've done and you're an awful person. Fuck you, you're going to kill you. Yeah. But that's totally different to Deanna deciding that her grief matters more than the community's needs, potentially. Yeah, and you've just raised the other thing. Her grief now matters more and trumps the community decision-making that was apparently the important system she'd set up. Well, had she? I mean, she said in this episode, I make the decision. You're right, she did. So like a lot of politicians, she wants people to feel like they've got an input while actually maintaining all the decision-making power herself. Yes. It's like, you go over there, say what you want to say, I'll just be over here making the real decisions. Yeah, yeah. You know how when we first met her, I wondered if she even had been a congresswoman? No. I don't wonder that Don't anymore. wonder it anymore, no. Right at this moment, as Rick is killing Pete, mm-hmm. and is back to being covered in blood, mm. Morgan arrives. If you're Morgan, and you turn up right now... Having just seen Rick shoot someone. What do you think? I mean, I think we got a bit of it on his face. What the hell's going on? I think if I was Morgan, I'd just be thinking, wow, some shit's going down. I'm not sure if I'd be thinking anything more than that. Okay. He looked quite horrified at what Rick seemed to have become. Well, I mean, he said earlier in the episode, you know, all life is precious or something. Yeah, all life is precious and Rick's just killed a dude. Yeah, so they've both changed. That's all. If he's really, really disturbed by this new Rick, I suppose it's possible. I just... I just think that it's also possible that the first episode of season six, we see Rick and Morgan sitting down together and being like, right, so you've been through some shit. Okay. Oh, okay. So this guy was beating up his wife and had just killed someone in front of the entire community. Oh, well, that's not how I would have dealt with it, but... Mm. I feel like there's enough there that they're going to have to address it next season. Yeah. But I can't draw more of a conclusion than Morgan looked shocked. Yeah. I'd go to shocked and horrified. Okay. That's the end of the episode, but after the credits, we see that Michonne has taken the katana. Cleaned it. Cleaned the ridge off it. Oh. And she's about to hang it back up on the wall, but she decides against this and puts it on her back. Mm. How did you feel about that? I felt like it was this ongoing process of Michonne balancing. The inside the walls Michonne and the outside the walls Michonne. So she's decided that inside the walls she still needs the katana. Right. Especially with the Alexandrians still not up to scratch. Maybe she'll get to a point where she feels comfortable putting it down again. But I felt it was part of that. She felt that at this point in time, it's actually right, I need to have this on me. Yeah. If we start imagining how them whipping the Alexandrians into shape might look. Mm. Whereas Rick and Carol taking the guns was about protection for themselves. I feel like with Michonne, it's going to be more about the fact she's going to have to be a leader. She's going to have to be a military leader for these people. There's rough times coming, so I need to be ready. Yep. That kind of thing. Rather than it being about protection. The other thing we see is a last shot of the tinned goods factory. We see that Poncho Guy is now Poncho Zombie Guy. Mm-hmm. And we get a final shot of one of the cars. Was it the car even that they had to run into? It looked like it was in about the right spot. And on the side of that is the same graffiti as we saw at Richmond. Mm. Wolves not far. Yeah. Do you think it's now pretty definitive that they painted it themselves? I reckon so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we are seeing the antagonists of at least early season six. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if they're not the antagonists, (laughs) they've wasted a lot of time this season. I know, right? Wow. I wonder if the wolves will be dispatched in the same way that the Terminus 
cannibals were dispatched quite quickly and then a new situation for the rest of season six, maybe. Maybe. I kind of hope not. Yeah, I kind of hope not too. I would like to see a season-long, or at least half-season-long conflict. Yeah. An ongoing one. It's going to be much more interesting when Rick's group comes up against a group it can't just either deal with by defeating them or by infiltrating them and then taking over. Yeah. But a group that actually causes problems for them. Mm. That's going to be an interesting thing to see. Yeah, and the wolves look clever. Mm. Did you feel like the finale paid off? I do, actually. Probably the first time that I really felt like a finale was as good as I was hoping it would be. Yeah. What did you think? Pretty much the same. I certainly found it very entertaining, and I didn't have any issues with the way that all the different plots came to an end. Gabriel's very annoying to watch, but it's (laughs) also fairly interesting. And I like that they tied it into some stuff I did care about with Sasha and Maggie. But yeah, I thought it was great. As you say, for the first time, they successfully cashed the check they'd written earlier Mm. in the season. Mm. It was very satisfying. On the question of the red balloon from last week's episode and what it might symbolise, we have received a bit of feedback. Yes. Friend to the show, Mr M, suggests that in general, balloons are a symbol of when something is puffed up. It suggests hubris, that a person or group might have an opinion of themselves that's inflated or wildly unrealistic of their capacity. He points out this is especially true of a helium balloon, which is ungrounded and rushes towards blue sky ideas. Hmm. What do you think of that as a way of interpreting the balloon from last week's episode? It's interesting. You could apply it to both of the groups in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. The Alexandrians seem to be living in this sort of bubble where they don't really have to face what life is really like. And it's only a matter of time until the bubble is burst and the helium balloon pops, I suppose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they have to face up to what's really going on. I suppose at the same time, you could look at Rick's group as also being filled with a sort of hubris, thinking that they know everything about everything. They have got quite a poor opinion of the people in Alexandria, Mm -hmm. and are coming in just going, well, everything you do is wrong, you all need to become like us. And although I agree with them, it could be interpreted that the balloon is representative of Rick's group as well. Or it could be a bit of both. It could also be representative of just Rick. Yes. And his approach to the situation with Pete in particular. Yes. I read online on moviepilot.com, mm-hmm. they've got a theory that the balloon is representative of Rick's state of mind every time we see the balloon. Oh, yeah. It's meant to be symbolising what's going on with Rick. And the first time we see the balloon, it's tied to a toy boat in the pond. That's the moment when Pete walks past Rick, and Rick very visibly is clamping down on what he's really feeling and tells Pete to keep walking. Movie Pilot suggests that the balloon was sort of tethered to the boat and sort of represented the way that Rick was holding on and maintaining control of his emotions. The second time we see the balloon, it's being dragged along by Sam, sort of tugging against Sam, you know, almost wanting to be free. That's when we see Rick make a decision to go back to Jesse in her and Pete's house, and that led to the fight. So there's this kind of tugging against the status quo, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we see the balloon as, I think, Sam lets it go during the fight, as Rick is choking Pete. Mm. And the balloon lets go, and in a sense, Rick has kind of let go of his grip on sanity. 
And so that's what they think it means. And actually, the moment where the balloon flies up into the sky is the moment immediately before Rick pulls the gun. Yes. So that actually makes a lot of sense. I really like that interpretation. They also suggested that the balloon being red was not a coincidence. Right. That that's meant to very obviously symbolise the blood and violence and the rage. At that point in time, Rick is covered in blood. Mm. And then not one episode later, he's covered in blood again. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the similarities and differences between Rick now and Shane. Yeah. There are some parallels. Yeah. Leaving the Jesse stuff aside. Well, I think the differences are still that Shane was a fundamentally selfish person who wouldn't think twice about shooting someone in the leg to allow himself to escape, and I just, I don't think Rick would do that. Rick genuinely wants to look after his people, and I think he proved that again in this episode, you know... It's been a really long time since I've watched any Walking Dead with Shane in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm having difficulty remembering what he was like as a leader. One of the things I think is interesting is about that question of transparency, which Deanna talked about but didn't practice very well. Yeah. Rick does actually practice it. He tells his group what's going on. He tells them what he's thinking. He tells Mm. them why he thinks they need to do the things they need to do. Yeah. And Shane was... Although quite selfish, not much more ruthless than Rick is now. Mm -hmm. But he was always more like Carol in that he operated in secret. So his way of dealing with the prisoner they had, who they couldn't bring themselves to kill, was to take him out in the bush and kill him. And that was obviously part of a selfish plot to do with trying to kill Rick as well. But he was someone who would tell secrets about what he'd decided to do. He would lie about what he'd decided to do. Mm. I wonder though how Shane would do if they met him now. Part of the reason that Shane found himself lying all the time was that he was prepared to be very ruthless much earlier than the rest of the group was prepared. Yeah. And he was very frustrated by the fact that they still wanted to show a huge amount of compassion and a huge amount of stuff that they would themselves consider naive now. Hmm. Well, I suppose the other thing to keep in mind, of course, is that a fundamental part of Shane's relationship with the group and with Rick was the fact that when Rick came back, Shane was suddenly not with Laurie anymore. Yeah. And that coloured their relationship. I suppose if they were to meet Shane now and none of that context existed, then, yeah, it could be quite different. I feel like the selfishness would still really matter, though. Yeah. Say if Aaron and Daryl came across him. Mm -hmm. I feel like probably both their internal alarms would go off when meeting him. Because Aaron's got a pretty good one, and Daryl certainly does. Yeah. If they were to find him, which presumably is how it would happen... I think they'd probably be like, "Mm, not a great fit for us. Mm. A lot of the stuff that Shane wanted the group to start doing, a lot of the ruthlessness, they have actually taken on. Mm. But it hasn't changed them into Shane. Yes. They're good people who have found that they can be ruthless. Shane would have gotten along quite well in Dawn's hospital. Oh, he would have owned the place, probably. Yeah, because they had that very capitalistic system of each person and their individual worth, and you owe us for saving you. And Mm. And they loved secrets. They loved secrets, and they view people as commodities, and it was all about maximising your own value, because you wouldn't rely on other people to just go, well, he's a decent person, so as long as he's willing to pull his weight, he's worth keeping around and looking after. Which, I'm not sure Shane would have been all that down with. He's too selfish for that. Yeah. There's a quote that's appeared a lot on the internet in the last few weeks, and it's a quote from Dale from Season 1. Season 1, Episode 4. Dale says this. 
I like what father said to son when he gave him a watch that had been handed down through generations. He said, I give you the mausoleum of all hope and desire, which will fit your individual needs no better than it did mine or my father's before me. I give it to you not that you may remember time, but that you may forget it for a moment now and then, and not spend all your breath trying to conquer it. The last five episodes of this season are called Remember, Forget, Spend, Try and Conquer. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what, if anything, you think the significance of that is. It might be a deliberate callback to Dale. Dale was someone who regularly espoused the ideas that we can't leave behind our humanity. That's true. He was the first Bob. Mm. And the whole season has been very much about trying to find that balance. How do you be as ruthless as you need to be while also not being so ruthless that you lose everything that makes living worthwhile? Mm -hmm. Obviously, Dale's very much on the side of you need to grab hold of humanity and hold on to it and don't kill people. And He would certainly be viewed as naive by the group now. Yes. But he was participating in the struggle like everyone else did. And I feel like in some ways the group, because they have found this limited form of safety... Mm -hmm. Because they are no longer exposed to danger literally all the time, I guess they are able to swing that pendulum a little bit back towards being kind. They still need to be pragmatic and they still need to do the things they need to do, but they perhaps don't need to be quite as ruthless. And the real deep suspicion that Rick had of Aaron when they first met him, for example, Mm -hmm. I feel like if they met someone now, or if they meet someone sometime in season six... I'm not sure that that almost paranoia is going to necessarily exist. There's going to be a little bit more leeway to believe that actually there's a fair chance this person might be okay and we should find out if that's the case. That's the best I've got, really. It's linked towards swinging the pendulum back a bit. Yeah. Just before we get to the final three questions, I want to have a quick chat about the racist network. Yep. I've done the figures. If you count people who are part of Rick's group only... So don't yeah. just count general deaths, don't count deaths of people they meet. Yep. People who are actually part of the group. And to be honest, I have basically excluded people who we met just long enough for them to die. Because there's a lot of people during the prison scenes. Mm-hmm. But if we take people who are part of the group and who we actually knew for any length of time, there have been 29 white people, there have been 10 black people, mm-hmm. there have been two people who are Latin American, and there has been one Asian man. Guess who that is? Is it Eugene? No, it's Abraham. <laughs> well, that red hair is such a giveaway. Such a giveaway. <laughs> In the first two seasons, ten white people died. Uh-huh. No black people died. Mm-hmm. And one Latin American person died. But it should be remembered that the only Latin American person died and the only black guy survived. So there were really low numbers for them to die. Yeah. Ten white people died, but that's because there were ten white people to die. From season three to five, 11 white people have died, seven black people have died, mm-hmm. one Latin American person's died, and that Asian man is powering through. He is. <laughs> For all seasons, mm-hmm. the percentages are as follows. Of all the white people who have existed, mm-hmm. 72% have died. Mm-hmm. Of all the black people who've existed, 70% have died. Half of the Latin Americans have died, and I'll tell you what, those Asians are survivors. That one Asian. That one Asian dude, he is going strong, (laughs) and I'm very happy about it. So, in light of those numbers, 
how do you feel about the accusations that the show gives black characters a pretty rough ride? Well, there's a little bit more I would want to know. How did they die? And were they given plot development simply to give meaning to their deaths? And I think that is a really key point. I don't have stats on that. I haven't had that kind of time this week. Even in light of those numbers, I still feel like particularly black characters have been given a really... They've been dealt a really shit hand by this show. Mm. I haven't been able to look at it, but I feel like quite often they had really short turnarounds between arrival and death. Yeah. They don't get that sort of longevity, particularly in the sort of season three area. Yeah, basically I feel the same as you do. I don't have the more detailed stats about tenure and character development and that kind of stuff. But I feel like Michonne is obvious for the fact that she stands out because she's the longest running black character and has the most character development and it's of, of all the black characters. People and... always think of Michonne. Sasha turned up like two episodes later. Did she? Pretty much. Oh no, probably half a season later. I feel like she turned up significantly after. Nah. Well, half season's not insignificant. That's true. I suppose it just goes to show what a strong character Michonne is. Yeah, and how long it took them to give any sort of development to Sasha. Because really it's been this season. Yeah. So maybe that's indicative. They decided, well, we're giving development to one black character. That's enough. We don't need to give any to Sasha. I don't think that's actually a fair characterisation of what's happened over the last couple of seasons. Well, maybe not. There's been Bob, there's been some stuff going on with Tyrese, although his stuff was very last minute Mm. again. Mm. I do feel like, and again, I haven't been able to do any sort of assessment about this, But the T-Dog scenario, Mm. where some of his character development had to be done after the fact by Glenn. Yeah. I feel like, although they're doing a bit better, that scenario has played itself out for black character after black character after black character. Yeah. And I haven't felt that that's been such a problem amongst the white characters. Yeah, yeah. Probably, I agree. Having said that, I'm sort of on uncertain ground here because when I was going through and making the list of all the white characters who died, Mm. there were an awful lot of them where I was like, oh yeah, that guy, I remember you, you barely existed. Mm. So there was an awful lot of cannon fodder on that list as well. Yeah. I don't know. I still feel that the accusation's right, despite those numbers. Yes. Well, like we said, it's not just about raw numbers, it's about manner of death. Yeah. And how the character was treated while it was on the show. Yeah. The thing about T-Dog, I mean, that's just really egregious. Couldn't give you enough character development during your screen time, so here's some afterwards. Whenever I'm reminded that he was around until season three, I'm always shocked. Mm. Because I think, He did nothing. I don't know anything about him. Mm. Okay. One, what was your standout moment from this episode? Two, what was your standout moment from the season? Uh Aha, okay. My moment from this episode is Rick coming clean with Michonne. As I said to you, I never had any doubt of Michonne's loyalty. It was still so heartwarming, that exchange between them, and her commitment to the group, and handing the gun back to Rick and saying, well, I'm still with you. This is where I am. I'm with this group. It was wonderful. Fucking loved it. Yeah. That's my moment. They're all so functional. Well, Sasha's not that functional. (laughs) In fact, even those two aren't that functional. (laughs) If you're grading on a curve... But if you're grading on the curve of people in this world... Yeah. They are super functional. Absolutely. My standout moment of the season was Carol and Daryl's reunion. The hug? The the hug that embraced my heart. I almost cried. I could feel them feels coming out of my TV. That was definitely my moment of the season. It was a very nice moment. What was yours? 
for this episode, my that was awesome moment. What was it? I have to decide. Oh, the foot, uh, definitely the knee stomp. Okay. Def- <laughs> sorry, why am I even pretending there's a choice to be made? What was your moment of the season? Do you know, I'm going to go back to the first episode as well and say that it was Carol's attack on Terminus. <laughs> I nearly picked that. Incorporating the middle-aged lady face-off. I feel like that's a lot of moments. Well, it's really two key ones. The bombing and the the face-off. Yes. I still think that's a little... I think you're being rather little sneaky. I'm not going to hold it against you. It was a great set of scenes. It was incredible. I don't think it's at all coincidental that both of our moments of the season involve Carol. No, I hadn't noticed that until... But you're right. It's yeah. absolutely as it should be. <laughs> Similarly, zombie kill of the week and of the season. <sighs> zombie kill of the week. There are so many to choose We're from. We're for choice. I know. Do you mind if I run through some contenders? Certainly. Well, there's the license plate to the head. Oh, yes. Aaron taking out a walker by slicing its head open with a license plate is amazing. Mm-hmm. One cannot go past Daryl using a chain and taking out three at once. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. That is fucking amazing. Then there's the head smushy in the door. Mm-hmm. That's probably the lowest round. That's not going to be my pick of the week. It was great fun. Though. It was great fun. But we've seen Head Smushy plenty of times. Yes. That was the after-dinner sherry to the <laughs> main course that had been the other two. The after-dinner mint, perhaps? Yes. And the last contender is Rick shoving his gun oh. up into a walker's skull and then pulling the trigger and blowing its brains yeah. out the back of its head and out its eye sockets and mouth onto his own face. Wow. I think it's also worth noting that a lot of the general kills that occurred this episode were of a high enough standard that in other weeks they might have been the winner. Yeah. There were some really good slicing off the top of the heads. Yep. Stone through the face. Aaron's machete work was really good. He's top notch. Mm. It's coming down to two for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. The two, because of ingenuity, are the license plate and the chain. And I reckon the license plate edges out the chain just for sheer improvisation. Okay. I've got a bit of metal. I'm going to stick it in this walker's head. I actually hope that Aaron still has the license plate. Because when he takes it home to Eric, he'll be like, I've got a story about this one. (laughs) (laughs) This one's a conversation starter. That's right. So yes, I'm going to go with the license plate to the head. I thought they were both great. But I don't think anything goes past Rick shooting a zombie from the inside out. Yeah. Normally, see, this is the thing. In the past, I would always have gone for the showiest kill. And I reckon me, of half a season ago, would have absolutely picked that. Mm-hmm. But I'm... You're into ingenuity I'm in, Well, at the moment, I'm into ingenuity. I think you're mostly into Aaron. There might be a slight, slight tinge of that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. But they were all great. I think the gunshot from within was amazing. It was pretty spectacular. For the season? Well, I have one immediately for Mm. the season. For me, it is going to be Daryl picking up a walker's head like a bowling ball and smacking someone else with it. (laughs) It was incredible! That is just the best one for me. It was pretty great. It's amazing. The way he was, you know, reaching around for it, nearly got his fingers in its mouth, and then just found the eye sockets and plunged his fingers in. Plunged them in. Yeah. So that's mine. It's pretty good. I obviously have a thing about zombies being interestingly disintegrated with firearms because I'm going to go for the flare zombie. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. (laughs) It was pyrotechnic. It was. I like this. Our decisions have kind of 
You've definitely picked the showiest kills. Absolutely. I feel like I've picked the most ingenious ones. <laughs> you know, when you're put in a hard situation, got a license plate, now it'll do. But I know, I'll use a walker to kill a person and the walker. I like both our picks. Yep. What score would you give the episode, and what score would you give the season? I reckon I would give the episode definitely a 9, maybe even a 9.5. Wow, that's yeah. a high score. I, well, it was... They spent a long time building stuff up, and it could have gone really badly. I'm so relieved that, as you say, they cashed every check they wrote. Yeah. I'm really grateful. I'm going to go with 9.5. Fuck it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, I just want to also say, I am grading... For The Walking, for Dead. The Walking yeah. Dead. So a 9.5 for The Walking Dead is not a 9.5 for Game of Thrones. This would be a solid 7 for Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and this would have been episode 2 of the season. <laughs> I did tell you what my friend once said about the difference between HBO and, I think it was Showtime, uh-huh. the networks. She said, see, with Showtime, you can wait till season five, six before incest. HBO, season one, episode one. Bam! Incest. It's the one thing this show hasn't done yet. <laughs> so for the season? I reckon this is probably the best season that we've had. I haven't gone back to watch season one. So in my head, season one is still quite amazing. Mm-hmm. But allowing for that... I feel like season five has been the best season. It's been very strong. So, overall, I reckon I would probably give the season an eight. It's pretty good. Mm. I feel like it's a totally different show to what it was in season three. I mean, it's such a transformation. Everything from style to the balance of humour, all that stuff is just totally changed. In its very early seasons, it was very much like a survival horror. And, I mean, that's very much the first showrunner was all about that and everything from how cinematic it was. Yeah, it was always focused on that stuff. And that had some benefits. The action blocking and when they wanted to have jump scares and when they wanted to show a fight, that stuff was really strong in that season. Mm. And, I mean, that was some of the stuff that really fell away in season two, where you just think, hang on, none of that makes sense. (laughs) This entire fight, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. So there's been some shaky stuff on the way. But I also wonder how sustainable that feel would have been for a whole show. Would we have got to season five Mm. if season five looked like season one? Hmm. It's an interesting thought. And felt like season one. Of course, we'll never know. No, but it's an interesting thought. I'd give this episode a nine out of ten. Very happy to give the score. You know, out of the two of us, you're obviously familiar with Margaret and David. Indeed. I feel very much like Margaret. I think that's a fair assessment. I feel very much like the slightly more generous of the two. I feel that you're harsher than I am. That's certainly true. Not without good reason, though. I'm willing to admit that I'm generous. I'm quite happy to be Margaret. Fair enough, you get better earrings. For the whole season, oh, it's quite hard. I really do feel like the second half was very strong. They got a real head of steam up. And I even feel like some of my harsher marking in the second half of this season has been about being so ready for the show to go bad again. Like oh, it yeah. usually preemptive. does. Not preemptive, but just, oh, they're back to their old ways. Fuck them. Okay. And they weren't. They've stayed at a much higher level in terms mm. of quality throughout. So you're going to make it up to them? No. Your score? No. I still felt that way about some of the episodes. There and the know. first <laughs> half of the season had some shaky bullshit in it. <sighs> Very shaky bullshit. I don't know. See, even then, I remember... Do you during... remember your feeling about Maggie and Beth? Yes. That was extremely shaky. But I was more okay with the multiple strands. Because I remember you making the observation that you felt like the story wasn't really progressing. 
we got to see what happens there, and then what happens there, and then what happens there. And they're all covering basically the same time period, so what, like a day has passed or something, you yeah. know, during the entire half season. And I know that you weren't really happy with that, and I didn't really care. I feel like what was happening there was, you know, there's that expression, you have to eat your greens. Yes. And on every show, you do need to have the quieter episode or the episode where you focus on a more sort of thoughtful element of character development, or you mm. need all that stuff. I feel like we as the audience were being made to eat the writer's greens. Because Mm. for years they hadn't given us enough character development, they hadn't built proper motivations for a whole lot of the characters. There were heaps of people still who in any given situation you'd have no idea what they'd do because they could do anything, we don't know who the fuck this person is. I feel like in the first half of this season, they did it fairly effectively, but there was a pretty intensive set of episodes where any sort of plot progression was given over to, okay, we are actually going to have to finally tell you about some of these people. Yeah. And because they had put that off and put that off and not done it for seasons, it was a long, intensive stretch of it. And I feel like we were eating the greens for the writers. Fair enough. On the whole, I'd give the season a seven. Okay. But I think if I was only marking the second half, I'd give it eight and a half. Okay. And that averages out to a seven for you. Yeah. Because the first half had some serious bullshit in it. So what would you have ranked the first half? Five. Okay. Yeah, I was see, really I, underwhelmed by it. Yeah, see, I wouldn't give them the first half anywhere near that lower mark. I was enraged by the Beth and Maggie stuff. Not because I just was annoyed by it. It was totally avoidable. And a lot of the bullshit in the first half of the season was totally avoidable. Mm. Tyrese didn't need to be such a non-entity. Oh, I feel like you're swaying me now. <laughs> I feel like I want to revise the score down. No, if you don't remember that. your pain, that's good. <laughs> but this is a season that had, at the same time, psychopathic Maggie, who suddenly doesn't care about her sister, mm. Bob, Tyrese, Gabriel. Mm. These are all the people we were made to watch for six <laughs> episodes at a time. Yeah, uh, look, I'm not angry with the writers for making me watch Gabriel. Like, there has to be room for characters you don't like. That's true. He wasn't written badly. He was written well as someone I fucking hate. He was very efficiently turned into someone we didn't like, that's true. Mm. I didn't detect bad writing in there. A lot of his stuff didn't make sense, his behaviour. For example, remember when he broke out of the church instead of just saying, I want to leave? Yeah, but he's an idiot, and also, he's a religious idiot. Because he's a priest... I'm absolutely willing to believe he's a total idiot. Yes, but I think that's a judgement based very much from our viewpoint. Yes, that's alright. Herschel was a man of God, he wasn't an idiot. My point is, it's not a foregone conclusion that a character who's introduced in a dog collar is going to be a moron. No. To be Now I'm arguing the opposite side. To be fair, season two Herschel was a bit of a fucking idiot. He just learned his lesson. Yeah, well, I mean, you that know. whole thing about keeping people in the barn? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty fucked up. Look, for whatever reason, I didn't find Gabriel annoying. I didn't hate him because I hated how he was written. I felt very much that I hated the character. I hated him as a person. Yeah. And I can't deny that him being a priest was part of that. Oh, yeah. This was also the time we had to watch Dawn and her bullshit. I feel like the first half of the season was pretty shaky. Mm. And it had some really good elements. I'd never say it was totally terrible. Just five is not good. That's not a good score. No, but it's halfway to zero. (laughs) It's an entirely mediocre score. Part of the reason that that score has dropped is how strong the second half was. They can Mm. do this. They should never do what they did the first half of the season. And if they do it again, 
I'll keep watching. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't do anything. I have no end to that. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to bag them on our podcast. <laughs> They're really going to care. Uh, quite, quaking in their boots. <laughs> I know. That said, we will totally bag them if we don't like what they do. We just uh, have zero expectation anyone else no, would not do anything. <laughs> It'll make us feel better. Yes. That brings us to the end of our first season of podcasting, John. Wow. 16 episodes. It's been fun. It has been fun. In a couple of weeks, we'll be starting up Game of Thrones. Yes, and aren't we looking forward to that? Well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback, and you can find us on Facebook just by searching for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel. Then you can fuck right off. Bye. Fucking bye. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised. Will not be televised. Will not be televised. Will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.
shit. Uh, what you need is Dr. Tara, not Father Dickface. Can you get that? No, 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 no. The worst. Oh, God. Fucking The worst. Ha! Come on, Glenn. Fucking fuck him up. Where's a cheerleader when you need one? I know, right? Whoa! No! Thunder cunt. <laughs>